Jesus. We've taken 60 plus days to drill deep into an incredibly familiar place inviting Jesus to dig fresh wells. That in these familiar words, there would be fresh revelation from Jesus to all of us. And so today, I've entitled my message, uh, Reprise Crescendo Rondo. And no, it almost sounds like I'm speaking in tongues. That's not what I'm doing. I believe in the gift of tongues. But Reprise Crescendo Rondo. Reprise is a musical term where we go back and we play another piece of that song again. Crescendo is where the music begins to go like this and it builds and it builds and crescendo. And then Rondo, if you understand symphony... Uh, symphony is more than just a bunch of instrumentalists and musicians getting together. That's a symphony, but what they play is also a symphony. And a symphony has four parts. It starts with a, a, a sonata. It has then an adagio and a minuet in between. And then the fourth movement, there's four movements in a symphony. The fourth movement is usually called a rondo. And it's, it's picking up and it's, it's nailing down the, the power of that musical piece. And so today, as we end this series, as we look towards our our 15 Christmas services that are coming up in the next 10 days, we put an end on this beautiful soundtrack of our Savior, soundtrack of victory. I started this whole series nine weeks ago saying, it's one thing to get a song stuck in your head. It's another thing to have a song seared into your heart. And I hope that the words of Psalm 23 have been seared into your heart. But if you haven't joined us for those weeks, and this is your first time, you're dipping the toe in the water of Timber Creek Church at one of our locations, that's okay. You get a reprise today. And so as we go into the reprise, as I mentioned, that anybody gotten a good gift or maybe you, you got a gift and it was like, what are they thinking? Uh, a few years ago, my seventh grade year, I got, a, I got a gift. I thought it was a good gift. I later found out what were they thinking. Um, in seventh grade, style was a little different. Silk shirts were in, baby. Silk shirts, uh, looking good with your spiked up hair, a little bit of Kentucky waterfall, business in the front, pleasure in the back, mullets, and my silk shirt. And you had all kinds of silk shirts. One of my favorite was, you know, purple on this side, blue on this side with like an orange pocket. Senior photos, baby. Well, my mom and dad, seventh grade, seventh grade, got me a black silk shirt. Now, I thought it was a fancy shirt because all of my other shirts they've ever bought me, the, the, the buttons were on the right side. And I, it was very natural to button them up. On this particular shirt, it was weird. You had to button from the, from the other side. I didn't know what that was. Was that European? Whatever. All I knew was it was cool. All right. And it was, I'd never heard of the, the label before, but it seemed to be really, really popular. It was DKNY. Now, for some of you, you have no idea what DKNY means, but some of you are already head of the story. For three weeks on and off in seventh grade, I wore a silk shirt that was actually a blouse to school. My parents, strong Christian home, I was cross-dressing in seventh grade. Because DKNY is Donna Karen, New York. And it was a blouse that I was wearing. Not every good gift comes from your parents. You know, I'm a good dad, but I don't give very good gifts sometimes. But our heavenly father, our great shepherd, he's in the business of great gifts. 
And so as we do a reprise, as we look back to each one of these powerful statements in this psalm, I want you to write down just a few of the incredible gifts that are promises, gifts that are available, readily available for you and for me as we follow in this soundtrack, as we, as we dance to the rhythm of the beat given in Psalm 23. It starts with the popular phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. And here we have the, the promise, the gift of possession. We are owned by him. We are doubly owned. If he's the shepherd, we're the sheep. Sheep is never mentioned in Psalm 23, but we envision sheep because if he is the shepherd, that makes us sheep. Stop trying to find yourself if you will find Jesus. If you will chase after Jesus, if you will follow Jesus, if you'll allow him to be your shepherd, you discover who you are and you're doubly owned. Not only did he create you, but then the creator who made you the creation, he doubly, he doubles down on his investment of ownership by paying for you with the greatest gift of heaven by sending his one and only son and the blood of Jesus Christ pays for you. You're owned by him because he created you. You're owned by him because he paid for you. The gift of possession, knowing who you are and whose you are. I shall not want. This gives us the gift of provision. That you may not always have what you want. and Sometimes you might have what you don't want. But because of his provision, you can always have what you need. You don't need to worry. Worry is a national pastime. Baseball, apple pie, turkey and stuffing. Worry. It's like part of our cultural fabric to worry about stuff. Worry never makes anything better. It makes you worse off. Worry is like practical atheism at work in your life. You would never say you're an atheist, but you act like one when you worry. Because when you worry, you put all of life's problems in your hands. When the creator of the universe, the great shepherd, he said, place it in my hands. Trust me. Lean not on your own understanding. Yield to me and I'll make your path straight. Provision. What a gift in this psalm. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. We showed a picture. Sheep are not like greyhounds. They are not aerodynamic. When they fall, they literally fall and many times cannot get up. They are top heavy. I'm, I've known what that feels like. I have felt like a watermelon running on two toothpicks before. He makes me lie down. He restores my soul. Restoring, he puts me back on my feet. And a shepherd has to go to a sheep that can't turn over because they're stuck there. They are a cast sheep. And he gently pushes them and he restores them and they're able to rejoin the flock. This gift of restoration, this gift of making me lie down when everything else seems trouble. Because he's got, he's, you've got to lie down. He's not going to force you, but he will make a way for you to do it. It's peace. Peace that passes understanding. We're in the throes of Christmas. And one of the greatest gifts that Jesus uh, promises to give us with his journey from heaven to earth is peace. The prince of peace. I'll unpack peace and joy Next week in all of our Christmas services, 
And I want you to know that reason, peace, and joy are really hard to find, especially in Christmas, is we celebrate those things when many times we don't feel those things. But we're going to learn at Christmas time how to really, how to really know peace and how to really choose joy. Peace is a wonderful gift. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. We are like sheep. We like, we go astray. One nibble here, one nibble there. And before you know it, we are in the middle of that. We, we build our own children to the corn horror story because we have ventured out into the cornfield and we get away from the narrow path. But he leads me in paths of righteousness. Here's the gift he gives us. It's the gift of providence. Providence, there, there's the biblical language of the word providence. And when you look in the biblical language dictionary, it simply means to guide us and to create an opportunity. Many of us are trying to build that. We're trying to push that door open, just get our foot in the door. Do you know that when you walk along the path of righteousness, opportunity is going to be created. You don't just have to wait for opportunity to knock. As you trust him, we say, oh, the narrow path, the straight and narrow. I'm not gonna be able to do this. I'm not gonna be able to do that. I'm not gonna be able to have fun anymore. I'm not gonna be able to laugh anymore unless I'm laughing at the devil. No, the narrow path, it, 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 it's like, it's a beautiful path. And there is opportunity. The more you walk on that path, the more opportunity simply presents itself to you as you trust and walk with your Savior. Are you with me so far? The next gift we, we get into, not only are we being led in paths of righteousness, and it's not for Jeremy's namesake, it's not for Joe's namesake, it, it is for his namesake. So the reason opportunity comes onto your path, the reason God blesses you, the reason God gives you two feet and a heartbeat and a relationship with him is, yes, for you to know him personally, for you to know him and to make him known. And it's not to be to build your brand, but to let Jesus be the center of your life and what that does for his namesake, it's the gift of purpose. I've said it many times, the two most important days in your life the day you were born and the day you learn why you were born, your purpose in life. And I will tell you that your purpose is to bring him glory. We say it around here, your God-given potential is our mission. We want to see you grow in your God-given potential day by day, next step by next step. I see myself less as a pastor and more as a tour guide on, the, on this path of righteousness to help you take next steps. But I want you to know that your next steps are not just, uh, you know, getting that a, it's not just succeeding in the world's standards. It's not just chasing the American dream. It's truly boiled down to knowing God personally, finding freedom from anything holding you back, understanding his purpose for your life, and then you seeing other people and letting their God-given potential be your mission too. Somebody looked at you at some point and said, your God-given potential is my mission. Maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was a coach, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a grandma. Maybe they didn't use those words, but because they loved you, they were trying to pull out from you your God-given potential. And now what we want to know is your God-given potential shows you your purpose. 
The psalm goes on to say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. What a wonderful gift, especially mentioned at Christmas time. It is the gift, write it down, of presence. Not presence like, hey, I bought this present for you, but presence, aroundness, people with us. That's another reason why people get so, so turned around at Christmas time and depressed because the whole meaning of Christmas is the presence of Jesus. And when they feel lonely, it's hard for them to understand what they're celebrating when they don't feel what they're supposed to be celebrating. You know, when the angel comes and visits Mary, the angel says, you're to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua, which basically means Savior. But then later on, an angel says, and he will be called Emmanuel. See, his given name is Jesus, but his nickname is Emmanuel. Everybody can know him by Jesus, which means Savior. And you can know him today by Savior. The, the thief that hung on the cross next to Jesus knew him as Jesus the Savior. The more you spend time with Jesus, you get to know his nickname. The more you hang around, you might hear my wife call me by a nickname. <laughs> Some of them I can't tell you. Some of them... Because you'd say, boy, that's mean. No, I'm kidding. No, no, no. You would. But like the day my son was born in the hospital, we started calling him Grambo. Graham, but we called him Grambo. I was growing up Jeremy, but my dad would call me Jernburn. My son was Jared. He would call Jared Jerbear. My sister was Lacey. She would call him. He would call her Lace Base. We just had nicknames. And those that know you know your nickname. People that usually don't know you will call you by your given name. You say, actually, my, my given name is Jeremiah. Jeremiah is my given name. I was named after Jeremiah was a bullfrog. <laughs> no, Jeremiah in the Bible. But my nickname is Jeremy. The presence, Emmanuel, simply means God with us. Presence, what a gift. God doesn't want you just to know about him. He wants you to feel him close. Be still and know that I'm with you. I'm God. I, you can experience my presence. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Pastor Talia unpacked this piece of the psalm a few weeks ago. And really it's the gift of protection. That you know, sometimes, sometimes the gift of protection doesn't feel like protection. You know, back in the day, you know, now I don't know the real rule, but I think you have to be like 17 years old before you can ride in a front seat now in the state of Texas or something. You got to be like a certain amount of weight. My son's been growing up. He's a little small for his size, but he's been saying, am I heavy enough to run, ride in the front seat yet? You know, and now he is and he's, we're all good, but he, he couldn't wait. But back in the day, you could be two years old standing up in the front seat, you know, where are we going next, daddy? But if something happened in front of you, you'd have to put on the brakes. Mom or dad had the special mechanism. It wasn't no airbag. It was mom's elbow. <laughs> Boom! Knock you into the back seat with that arm. That didn't feel very good, but it was for your own protection. Boom. I want you to know that his rod and staff is not just to keep the wolves away, but sometimes he needs to nudge you. Sometimes you feel the poking on your ribs saying, hey, 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 hey. 
cut it out. Hey, I love you too much to get the shepherd, the crook on the shepherd's staff pulls you by the neck away from, away from the side of the ravine. What are you doing standing on the side of the ravine? And the shepherd comes by and you say, oh, you don't let me have any fun. He says, I, no, I don't want you to die in a bloody mess at the bottom of that ravine. Guardrails, nobody drives down the road saying, oh, the state of Texas and these dumb guardrails. Well, you are thankful for the guardrail when somebody falls asleep at the wheel. You're thankful for those guardrails when somebody comes sliding through the ditch and gets stuck by the guardrail instead of smashing you. You thank God for those guardrails and his protection, his rod and staff, they, they comfort us. There's comfort in his protection. There's comfort in his, uh-uh, no, no, no. Hey, somebody thought he was talking to that young man right there. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to start doing that at the end of service when you guys start peeling out early before the offering's picked up. Hey, ah, uh, ah, uh, no, 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 no. I don't have time for it. I'm going to tell it anyway. I was in a church service in Dallas, Texas, and the pastor was preaching, and he said, I'm on an important note. I don't want anybody moving around. This was back in the day, and it was a little old school, and that's okay. I liked me some old. Everybody was old school back then. It was old school. It was new school at the time, but it was old school now. And because people were kind of getting up, and he was an important piece of the message. And he said, he said, there was a guy that got up after he had said that, and he started walking out. And he goes, excuse me, sir, I just said, please, no moving around. The guy kept continuing to walk. He says, sir, please, sir. And he gets, he gets upset on the platform. He goes, sir, I told you. And someone from the crowd yells out, that's my husband, he's deaf. I was in the balcony. I was like, oh, oh, how are you going to recover from that? And he said, well, let's pray. <laughs> the sermon was over. <laughs> Moving on. You prepare a table before me in the presence of of my enemies. You want to be like Jesus? Anybody want to be a little bit more like Jesus? Anybody, anybody at any location, you want to be more like Jesus? Then you are guaranteed to have enemies. He was perfect. And people hated him. He raised the dead. People left him. There was a choice between him and a murdering thief. And the crowd chose to see Jesus crucified to experience an excruciating death. You want to know, God, why do I have enemies? Just know that when you are even more and more like Jesus, you'll have enemies. I, I want everybody to like me. I want everybody to like me, but I can tell you this, not everybody does. <laughs> I want everybody to love this church. Not everybody does. It's a church anyone can come to. It's not a church everyone wants to stay. Maybe your taste of spaghetti is a little bit different and the spaghetti we serve here is like, I don't like that spaghetti. That's okay. I want you to get in and, and follow Jesus, the great shepherd, somewhere. If it's not here, go somewhere. But I, I have just learned that it doesn't matter what you do. If you want to be like Jesus, you're going to have some people that don't like you. But what are you going to do? Focus on them? No, 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 no. Here's what Jesus does. He doesn't promise to get rid of your enemies. 
Some of you at Christmas, you're going to be sitting with some enemies. But what he will do is he'll prepare a table before you in the presence of those enemies. And here's what the promise is. It is position. You can sit down with assuredness. You can sit down with grace and mercy. You can sit down knowing who you are and whose you are, being provided for. You can be protected. You can have position as a son or daughter of the Most High God. And all the other enemies looking at you, oh, I don't like that he does it. I don't like what's here. And you just pick another grape. <laughs> Position in the kingdom of God. You anoint my head with oil. Pastor Dan, a few weeks ago, unpacked this after Thanksgiving. And this is the promise and the gift of, of purity and power. The, the oil being poured on, an, on a sheep's nose and on their head, it, it was to protect them from nose flies. And those nose flies would just bother. Anybody ever gotten a gnat up the nose? Anybody ever had a bug just like get in your ear? And you're, you're just sitting watching a baseball game on the bleachers at the baseball field, and all of a sudden you're going, and they're going, call 911. They think something's going on. You're like, ah, 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 ah. That's what sheep will do. They'll ram their head up against a tree, try and get those nose flies. <laughs> and so the anointing of oil would to keep, keep those nose flies away, and it, it purifi purifies that. But there's also power. You know, we're talking about King David who wrote this psalm. And David understood three areas in his life. He understood what it was like to be a shepherd, and so he would write this from the perspective of a shepherd. He also knew what it was like to be a king. He also knew what it was like to be anointed. And there was a time where everybody else was being chosen. In the house of Jesse, he had many brothers. And Samuel the prophet comes into Jesse's house and says, God told me the next king is coming out of your house, Jesse. And Jesse's like, what? And Samuel's like, bank it. He said, for will, he said, word. <laughs> Jesse says, no way. Samuel says, Yahweh. <laughs> I got to go. Here's the deal. All the brothers, the strongest, the tallest, the oldest, Samuel goes to anoint them with the oil to show they're going to be the new and coming king. And he's paused by God. And the next one, the head and shoulders above all the other boys. And he's mm -mm. one by one by one by one. And his own dad didn't even think to get little David from, from the pasture. And Samuel says, is there not anybody else? And they say, what? I mean, well, you got David, Davy. Davy's out in the pasture. What do you mean, Davy? You got another son? Yeah, but I mean, he's... He's, a, he's 13 years old. I mean, he's kind of, he's always playing on the harp, and he's got these big stories about killing bears, you know. Nah, 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 nah. And Samuel says, none of us are sitting down until Davy gets into the house. So they send a little Toyota pickup truck to pick up David on the back 40. He comes hauling into the dry, gravel driveway, and he walks through the screen door, you know, dragging his banjo. He's like, y'all want me? Did y'all call for me? Tossled hair, pimply face, knees like a camel, just a little kid. Not even grown up into the muscles of his adulthood. And it's in that moment Samuel sees 
the next king of Israel. And he says, on your knees, boy. And David, probably not even knowing exactly what's going on. Here's this old man telling him to get on a knee. And the old man starts pouring over oil over him. I don't, we think they know what's going on. I wonder if David's looking at his dad like, Dad, what's going on? I'm scared, you know. But Jesse knows. Mrs. Jesse knows. All the brothers that are standing shocked that they're not chosen, they know. And there was this powerful moment of anointing. God doesn't just want to purify you. He wants to empower you, to anoint you with oil. In other words, he wants to empower you with his Holy Spirit. From the inside out, he wants to breathe life into you, wants to just consume you, baptize you in the presence and in the power of the Holy Spirit to anoint you, to not just to feel goosebumps. That's not why the anointing comes. That's the, the, the job of the Holy Spirit isn't to make you feel spiritual goosebumps. The job of the Holy Spirit isn't to, for things to go crazy in a church service. The job of the Holy Spirit is to guide and comfort and counsel and empower you to be witnesses beyond the four walls of the church to say, Jesus is my shepherd, and boy, he would love to be your shepherd too. Purity and power. Last week, my cup runs over. Four simple words that pack a powerful punch that he's always ready to pour more into your cup, and it's the gift of prosperity. Not the idea of prosperity of the name it, claim it, gospel, bless God. God wants to make you rich. Pull the, pull the lever of God's hand and all of a sudden pops out a Mercedes. That's not how God operates. You, you, you can have a little bit, but, but have everything and be prosperous. Your cup runs over for you to have enough and also for you to be a blessing to others. He blesses you to be a blessing. Do you know that's an okay prayer to pray? God, that you would bless me indeed. It's called the prayer of Jabez in the Old Testament. God, that you would bless me indeed. Enlarge my territory. But it was never just for your territory to be enlarged. If you're praying the blessing, God, bless my business. Just so you can experience the business blessing and the boom. I want to tell you something. You will limit the pouring of the wine into your cup. But if you will get the, 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 the insight that you are blessed to be a blessing, that you are a conduit, that it runs over your cup and out towards others, that you are a vessel that is to pour out upon others. Whoa, you don't even know what God will do in your life. Prosperity is a beautiful thing. It doesn't mean you're the wealthiest, but you have everything you need. You're rich in him. You can be single and satisfied you can have a, a few dollars in the bank, but no, I'm okay. I'm okay because I've got Jesus. You can understand prosperity. Last week, we introduced the 12 gifts of Christmas on your Timber Creek Church app. If, you have, if you've never downloaded that, it'd be a great time to do that towards the end of service. But also the 12 gifts of Christmas, we have this in the bulletin. And can I tell you right now, if you think that this pastor... Uh, twists anybody's arm, you obviously have not been here. Uh, we don't twist anybody's arm. Ah, I knew the church all about after my money. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Home Depot's after your money. All right, Budweiser's after your money. I'm after the blessings of God on your family. 
And when you lift a, an, a cup that's broken, in other words, when you lift a cup that's out of order, that you put everything else first except God, you're, it's like you're lifting an out of order cup, a broken cup. And so when you put God first, and so we, we mentioned this last week and we said, hey, you got a week to pray about it, think about it. I was talking with a family just the other day and they're like, We've been, we put this on our refrigerator. We've been praying about what to give. I just love that heart. I love that attitude. And I invite you at the end of the service, be prosperous by being a blessing to others. And you can see on your, your giving right here, the different things uh, from $30 that helps supply toilet paper because we need it, bless the Lord. $20 for snacks for the Timber Creek kids at our locations. Different things that would go towards a big fund where we do great ministry. We invite you, put things in order. When, bless, when, when order is restored, blessings are released. Put God first and you'll see the prosperity of God operate in your life. That's my spiel. You know, God says every one of you should pray about what to give and then God will give you the answer. God will give you the answer. Not JY. Jesus. So pray and say, Jesus, would you want me to begin to be a giver at Timber Creek? Would you want me to begin to trust you in the tithe? I can tell you, he already says yes in the Bible. You don't even have to ask him that. He says yes. But then whatever the amount of the special gift, that's between you and God. For some, you could flick of a wrist, you could write, and you could pay for everything on that list more than twice, 10 times over, actually. God's blessed us with people like that. Some of you, to write a $10 check above your budget would be a stretch, and you're going to have to hold hands and pray about that. You do what God calls you to do, and I know he'll fill your cup more overflowing, running over. So now we get to the crescendo and the rondo. Crescendo and the rondo. And the Bible says at the end of this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is something powerful here. Here are the two gifts that God gives us in this final stanza, in this rondo of this beautiful symphony from our Savior. It is pursuit and a promise. Do you know that David was not only a shepherd and he was not only a king. In the middle of that, he was heavily pursued as an enemy of the state. Saul got jealous of David after Goliath was destroyed. And so Saul went to destroy David in the desert. He chased him. Most of the rest of Saul's kingdom, most of his monarchy at the end was, was, was spent chasing David. David wasn't even an enemy. And he chased him. David knew what it was like. So when we hear the words, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. The word follow isn't this simple, okay, Follow in the, in the Hebrew is a military term. A military term that means pursuing. David knew what it was like to be pursued by an enemy. That they were relentless. They were getting after him. They had to keep their heads up for what might happen. They had to be on the lookout. And in the same way that David understood being on the lookout, keeping their heads up for an enemy that wanted to follow after them. He says to us in this psalm, keep your head up. Be on the lookout. Goodness and mercy wants to pursue you. What a great thing to be pursued by. But I got to give you some warnings here on this whole pursuit and a promise. Got to give you some good things and also some, some easy, watch it, careful. Hey, 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 hey. I got to give you some of those warnings. The first one Let's write it down, four of them. Here we go, number one. With Jesus, it's a good thing. It just gets better. 
With Jesus, I'm telling you, it just gets better. If you are new to Christ, you are a new creation. Can I tell you, it's gonna get better. It may not even feel like much has changed now, but I wanna promise you, it will get better. Jesus is up and to the right. He is an investment into your life of relational, unbelievable relationship that will make your life better. Stay consistent, stay faithful. You may not see all the results right away, but the more you follow on the path of righteousness, the more you let him prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemy instead of being focused on your enemy. The, the more that you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you're not gonna fear because he's with you, the more it gets better and better and better and better. But you know the enemy? Write it down. The enemy is the exact opposite. The enemy's devices are to give you something good right up front and it goes downhill from there. Many people get into what the enemy wants for their lives because it tastes good at first. It looked good at first. They texted you back at first. They complimented you at first. And your wife hadn't been complimenting you in a while. The enemy is the exact opposite. What comes to you in this momentary satisfaction will later destroy you and leave you empty. The book of Proverbs says it like this, Proverbs 20, 17. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man. The person who's starving to death who steals the bread. Well, they're starving to death. They should have, be allowed to sit and, You gotta earn it the right way. Money earned the wrong way. Relationships the wrong way, intimacy, the wrong way. It may taste sweet at the beginning, but the proverb goes on to say, but afterward, his mouth will be filled with gravel. You ever gotten dirt in your mouth? You ever chewed on some gravel? There's some rocks out in the, in the, in the, in the parking lot of the Lufkin location. Try it, see how that feels. And as you're chewing on the gravel, understand when you allow the enemy to guide your life, you might as well be chewing on dirt. Now, you know, the whole thing with with Jesus is the best is yet to come. Glory upon glory, goodness upon goodness. He starts packing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he adds to it and he adds to it. And he adds to it. Not only is he all I need, but he's all I need. And then he gives and he gives all these gifts, all these gifts, all these gifts. The worst that can happen to you in this world, do you know what the very worst thing that could happen to you is that you would die. And and David ends, you're going to be in the presence of the Lord forever. So really, what can mere mortals do to you? If you're a child of God, you can look forward to the promise of heaven and the promise of restoration of all things. That hope should skip, should skip like a stone across the waters of your heart. Just put a pop in your step that he's good. But I want you to know it takes a while to see all that. Don't get weary in well doing. How many of you ever been to the gym one time and you go back home and you look in the mirror and you're like, dang it. (laughs) Nothing changed. I look the exact same way I did before I went to the gym. because it takes a while. Discipline stinks at the beginning. Nope, my kids have never come to me and said, I did wrong. <laughs> Discipline me, dad. Like, like, 
No, nobody chases after discipline. You have to choose to be disciplined. And when you live the disciplined life on the path of righteousness for his name's sake, you may be in for a while and you'll look in the mirror and there's some, there, the marriage is still struggling and the, and the job is there and your outcome, it, you, you're still hurting and you still got even some hangups and some habits and some holdups. But I'm telling you, the more you're in the presence of Jesus, the more you allow the Holy Spirit to guide you and anoint your head with oil, all of a sudden, after a while, you're going to walk and look in the mirror and you're going to say, oh, whoa, oh, man. And I'm not talking about this physical manifestation. I'm talking about the spiritual manifestation of the Holy Spirit guiding and leading and, and building your life to where people start walking up to you and they say, you've changed. I noticed. Have you, have you lost a, have you lost criticism? <laughs> have you, have you lost a little Attitude? People have been saying that to me. Guys, I, I lost 98 pounds this year. Whoa, 98 pounds. That's crazy. That's, <laughs> I've lost a son and a half, my son and a half. And people have said, what do you do? What, what are you doing? What, what's, 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 what's different? What, what have you done? And I tell them, I tell them what I've done. I tell them what's different. I'm telling you spiritually, the more you walk with Jesus, it should signal people saying, huh, I wish I had the hope they have. I wish I knew their secret. And you can't keep that secret to yourself, everybody. It's meant to be shared. And it's not over when you think it's over. Don't, don't let, and don't, you don't put an end to the road where God puts a bend in the road. It's not over until he says it's over, and it's not over when you think it's over. Jesus is doing his ministry, and his friends, Martha and Mary, tell him about his best friend, Lazarus, who's sick. They send a carrier pigeon. Listen up, Jesus. Stop. Lazarus, your homie, sick. Stop. Come now. Stop. We're at this address, 427 Yeshua Lane. Stop. What does Jesus do? He, he doesn't go. In fact, by the time he does get to Bethany, Lazarus has been, it didn't just die. Why didn't you come sooner? He's been dead four days. You know the significance of this? It's Jesus showing you it's not over when you think it's over. Jewish culture still believes that when someone dies, their spirit, their soul hovers for three days around that body for three days. But it was the fourth day. There was no hope left. And Jesus, the son of the living God, comes in and says, roll away that gravestone. Four days dead. What are you doing, Jesus? He's been dead four days. You know the spirit ain't even here anymore. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And out like the mummy returns comes Lazarus, just popping out of there. <laughs> Kids are like, ah! Mary and Martha are like, just passed out. Don't you put an end where God puts a bend. He shows up and he can change anything. Number two, you don't need to chase what's supposed to chase you. Let's go back to that scripture. Remember how it says, surely goodness and mercy shall be chased down by me all the days of my life. Wait, 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 wait. Let's try that again. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's the way it's supposed to read. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. I don't need to chase after goodness and mercy. Listen, Americans. Listen, home of the USA. Listen. Our documents might say life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But if that's what you pursue, I promise you, everything you'll gain will be temporary. Jesus says, chase me. Chase me, and the other things will follow you. We have, a, we have generation upon generation trying to follow. They're trying to chase after their dreams, find their passions. I'm all, I'm all in favor of that. But can I tell you, chase after Jesus first. Chase after Jesus, seniors in high school. Chase after Jesus and the other things will follow you. That's, don't chase after the relationship. Don't chase after just the degree or just the straight A's. I'm all for straight A's, but I'm not all for straight A's at, at, the, at the expense of you not having healthy spiritual relationships around you that will guide you because you have your head in a book and you get straight A's, but you miss out on relationships that will be critical in the journey way beyond whether you got an A in algebra or not. You've got to chase after him first. There is no shortcut to the last scripture. It's not the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. There are some valleys. There are some enemies. There are some green pastures. There is some peace. There is some hang on. There is some hold up. And we got to chase him through it all. I mean, work hard, have some hustle, have some side hustle. But chase him first. Number three, don't underestimate the wake you make. Don't underestimate the wake you make. Like a speedboat cutting through Sam Rayburn Lake, it develops ripples behind it. Those ripples last all the way to the shore. They just, they, they change the entire atmosphere. And you leave them be, behind you. Don't underestimate the wake you make. Can I tell you, this may scare some of you, but something's following you. For all the paranoid people, they're like, I knew it. I knew it. I've seen that white truck like 17 times. That's the mail truck. It's the mail truck. Something's following you. You walk into a conversation, something's following you. You walk into that board meeting, you walk into that gathering, you walk into Christmas. You walk into that sports team. What follows you? Does goodness and mercy follow you? Or does criticism and bad attitude follow you? Does gossip follow you? The word goodness and mercy is actually one word combined, and it's the word kased in Hebrew, kased. We, we would pronounce it in English, chaste, but it's kased. And kased in the Hebrew, what, what David would have written means pleasant Charming, cheerful, loyal, full of favor, sweet agreeableness. Is that what's following you? Or, ugh, the weather's so bad, can you believe, Rachel? I can't believe my kids. Ah, oh, my wife did it again. And you walk, you walk into Christmas dinner with the subtleness of a dump truck. Just beep, beep, Merry Christmas, beep. 
bless us, everyone. My kids hate going to the dump. There's not many things they won't do with me. They have, they have sworn they will never go to the dump with me again. If I said, you won't have any Christmas presents this year, they say, fine. Because I've taken them to the dump a couple of times. Here, the Angelina Landfill. Why don't they like to go to the dump? It's not because of the trash. It's because of what the trash leaves behind in its wake. The smell. I thought I had it fixed. The second time they came with me, I, br I brought string and I pushed it through dryer sheets. They look like jasmine from Aladdin with the thing hanging down. I said, smell these snuggles, freshener, softener things. We're walking in. We got, we got a Walmart sacks tied around our shoes because we learned the last time you walk into that mud after it's rained at the dump, surely dump is going to follow you all the rest of your week. You can't get it. It's the smell just gets into your car. My kids hate going to the dump because of what it leaves behind. Don't be that person. Let goodness and mercy follow you. Teddy Roosevelt, one of our presidents, in 1907, he said, on January 1st, 1907, if you come to the White House, I'll shake your hand. All day long, he stood in the hallways of the White House, and he shook 8,510 hands. It was the Guinness World Book. Uh, it was the Guinness Record for years until 1977. 8,005, could you imagine? I mean, red carpet team, our dream team, shaking people's hands. Could you imagine 8,510 people? And one of the reporters that shook the hand of Roosevelt said it like this. You shake hands with Roosevelt and you hear him talk and then you go home and you wring the personality out of your clothes. I, I'm believing that that ought to be this church. I'm believing it ought to be you and it ought to be the essence of Timber Creek where, where you should just come here and people feel loved, that people feel needed and known, that we would go way beyond in 2020, that we would go way beyond being a friendly church, but we would be a befriending church, that we would know that people need to be cared and loved. People need to feel needed and known because maybe they went their entire week without one single person saying, I love you. But they ought to feel that love when they come into this place. And I want to tell you, we're not done. We are a tiny church. I know people say, man, I didn't want to try that church because it's so big. Or I don't want to go to that church. I'm not really into the big church. But the people that don't want to go to a tiny or big church, they'll go to Walmart. I don't want to go to a big church. I don't know anybody there. You don't know anybody at Walmart. And there are just as much crazy people at Walmart that are in this church. There's some crazy people in this church. That's the truth. But you go to Walmart. You go to Target. You sit in the middle of a Martin Stadium going, ah! We're not done here. Seven billion people on this planet. We are a tiny church. Thousands of people in, a, in the circumference around this location in Nacogdoches and Dybal and Duncan. Hundreds of thousands of people in the timber country of East Texas that are de-churched, unchurched, done with Jesus. That need to be reintroduced to the wonderful goodness and mercy of God. And it's not just going to be him. It's going to be goodness and mercy following you. 
And we're not done here. We're going to go to Jacksonville and we're going to be in Bullard and we're going to be up in Tyler and over in Livingston. And if Crockett calls our name, we're going to go to Crockett. And if we got to go down to Jasper or we got to go up into Conroe, wherever God calls us next, goodness and mercy ought to be following Timber Creek Church. I'm, I'm preach, I'm preach, preach. I got to wrap it up. I got to wrap it up. Bible says, Pastor Cody, that's not what the Bible says. Come, come and start playing me down like the Academy Awards. Do it. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And then here's this promise. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What can mere man do to me? Because at the end, all I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got Jesus on my mind, ain't never given up. And every time I walk into Timber Creek Church, my hands should go up. And they stay there. The house of the Lord forever. Paul says it like this. Go ahead, Cody. Paul says it like this in Philippians. Our homeland is in heaven. No matter whether you are an immigrant to this nation, whether you're born in USA, your homeland is truly heaven. But that's not your only home. Don't get it wrong, don't get it twisted, that all you're looking for is that home. Paul also says in Ephesians chapter two, you're no longer wandering exiles or aliens or, or immigrants. This kingdom of faith, he's talking about what's happening right now as the church was exploding across the Middle East, this kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. I love the next line. He says, you belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. If you came in today and during worship, you said, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I'm sorry I've drifted. You are just as much a Christian as I am. You may not have had the reps in the gym that I've had. You may not understand all the goodness and mercy and the narrow path, but I want to tell you, if you believe, you're saved. Now let's grow together. God is building a home. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought God was, the homeland is in heaven. No, he, right here he's building a home too. He's using us all. See, Jesus prepares a place for us in heaven. That's Jesus' job, not your job. You don't prepare a place for yourself in heaven with all the good works you do, but you do build the church here. You do build the kingdom of faith here. The Apostle Paul says, he used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now, now he's using you. Right now, now, now. When? Now. He's using you. Fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. See, here's the beautiful thing about dwelling in the house of the Lord. God has two houses. He's rich. He's rich. He's got two homes. And one of them is, is in his main home and then a vacation home. One of them is the final home, his home, his home for you that he shares with his sons and his daughters. But he's also got an investment property. And that investment property is what you and I are involved in today. Where, where he is investing into you. He is growing you. And so when David says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever, he's not just talking about heaven. Because four chapters later in the book of Psalm, we see another song that David wrote. And here's one of the stanzas. Here's one of the rondos in that scripture. In fact, write it down. Forever includes now. Forever 
is not when we finally, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all get to see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. We ought to be singing and shouting the victory today. Today, knowing today is the day of salvation. You don't have to wait till you all get to heaven to rejoice. And again, we say rejoice even if today feels like hell. Even if today feels like prison, you can rejoice in the Lord always. And King David says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Your body is the temple, and you are invited to be a part of the whole body of Christ, the church. Final thought, I just maybe just write it down in your notes. God doesn't want to just take your soul to heaven. He will do that. And he's excited to someday be face to face with you. But in the meantime, write this down. God wants to bring heaven to your soul. And that's what he did this Christmas. God brought heaven to us. Because what makes heaven heaven is not the pearls, is not the gold, is not the crystal sea. What makes heaven heaven is Jesus is there. And Jesus came down from heaven to say, you can know me as Jesus. But I love you so much, I want to know every name you've got and you can know every name of mine. I'm Jesus, but you can call me Emmanuel. God with you. Would you just close your eyes this morning, all locations. If you need to know Emmanuel, God with you. you, you don't know his presence until you know him as Jesus, your savior. And if you need to invite Jesus to be the Lord, to be the center of your life, maybe you've done that before, but you've drifted. You know you've drifted. You know you're not where you need to be. I want you to know you don't have to go out and fix everything. You just need to surrender to Jesus. That's the first step. You just surrender to him and believe he is who he says he is. And if that's you, I'm not going to hesitate. I'm going to... Right now, you, if you need to surrender to Jesus, put a hand, all locations, straight up in the air. I need to surrender to Jesus today. I need to surrender to Jesus today. I've drifted. I don't want to drift anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. Several hands here. I know there's hands in Nagados. I know there's hands in Duncan and Dyball. I know it. Now, you can put your hands down and just, in your own words, Jesus, save me. Jesus, get me back on track. Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. Be my shepherd. Guide me. I want to know you. I want to follow after your way, not my own way. Thank you, Lord, for giving me this moment. You're not mad at me. You love me. And I want to make things right with you today. For those of you that need to claim the promises of Psalm 23, you're getting ready to walk into Christmas season here, and you need Jesus. You need the goodness and mercy to follow you. Mm. If that's you, would you just put a hand up? I don't want to be a dump truck. I want to be a deliverer of goodness and mercy. Yes, Jesus, I pray for everyone, including myself, that we would bring good gifts for people with our attitudes and our actions and our hearts. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving people. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for guiding people. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.